You're listening to The Private Citizen, a podcast for critical thinkers. This is episode 149 for Tuesday, the 28th of March, 2023. The Nord Stream cover-up. Hello, everybody. My name is Fab. I'm your host. I'm coming to you live from Düsseldorf in Germany, where um, apparently it's my ninth wedding anniversary today. Um, earlier, the wife came home and uh, told me I'm a bit cheekily. Um, <laughs> I completely forgot. We don't we don't celebrate. We are wedding anniversary uh, for us. Uh, Getting married was more of a pro forma thing. We we celebrate the um, the day we got together, which is you know that's that that was 21 years ago. That's much longer. But anyway, um, so yeah, it's not really special special day. But I thought that was that was kind of funny. Um, welcome to the show. Streaming this live as usual on a Tuesday. Um, I'm hoping. To get another episode out tomorrow, I will give my best and can't promise anything. It's still the same same story, but I'm trying. So my schedule is all over the place. Um, but uh, on this episode, uh, we will follow up um, the previous episode um, and talk about Nord Stream again, uh, more specifically um, the 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 Seymour, Seymour Hirsch story that I also talked about um you know in in the previous episode and yeah that's so that's our our topic for today but before we get into that I have to apologize speaking of the previous episode uh, I completely fucked up uh, releasing that I fucked up and then in trying to fix it I fucked up again so uh if you got the older um uh episode instead of the the current one like you basically got the you got 147 twice um and this didn't occur to you, you, you if you if you delete that <clears throat> you should get you should get the the you know the real one the 148 i'm 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 sorry about that that was just me being an idiot um i apologize please uh, excuse my stupidity because on 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 this um and then in other news, uh, if you go to the show notes at privatecitizen.press, in this case, privatecitizen.press slash episode slash 149, um, you will find, um, if you scroll down to the bottom uh, of, of the show notes, this, this will now happen uh, for all episodes. If you, if, you, if you scroll down to the bottom, um, I've embedded the forum thread um, that, you know, belongs to this episode uh you know uh, this i have a forum at uh, fab dot uh, at forums no at forum for forum dot uh, fab dot industries um and you know we discuss uh the episodes there and so i've embedded that in the show notes so so you can also comment directly on episodes now if you scroll down to the uh, to the bottom of the page um there, of course, the all the other ways to contact me still work. If you just want to send me an email, that that works. I just uh, thought uh, that was nice. I I, I uh, tried that out with my with my um, 
blog earlier and then I thought I should also do that for the podcast. So I hope that's uh, something that, you know, that you like. And if you don't, just uh, just ignore it, I guess. Um, with that, let's uh, let's get going here. Let's get into... Um, I can find the, the button I'm, I'm trying to press here. Let's get into the topic at hand here. So first, a very quick recap. You should really listen to the previous episode, um, 148, um, before you listen to this, because this is kind of, this all uh, pertains to the previous episode. But, you know, in case you don't want to, uh, just a very quick um, recap. So uh, last episode, I talked about uh, Seymour Hirsch, who is a uh, very well-known and accomplished um, investigative journalist who kind of came out of retirement uh, to write a story about the uh, attack on uh, Nord Stream, on the Nord Stream pipelines, which we kind of speculated on the show about as well. And his theory, uh, based on an anonymous source within the so-called intelligence community, um, is that the uh, the U.S. Navy um, blew up the the, the pipelines uh, under cover of the Belt Ops 22 exercise, the NATO exercise, and that this was planned by the CIA but carried out by the U.S. Navy and signed off, uh, and not only signed off but also um, you know requested, like the whole planning was requested uh, by President Biden. I think I'd said Obama on the show, and I also put that in the show notes at least one. I don't know. My brain wasn't it was misfiring last week. I'm sorry about that. Of course, it was President Biden. Um, now, Hirsch published a story, and I, I talked about uh, on the previous episode how that was um, not really covered, especially not in the US. There was a little bit of coverage in Germany, but generally it wasn't really picked up. And um, we also talked shortly about like the el there was like an alternative theory of you know some people renting a yacht uh, in Germany I think uh, in Kiel and then uh, they being tied to the Ukrainians apparently and then blowing up the pipeline and how that wasn't really um, very plausible um, including like lots of experts. Um, who know what they're talking about when it comes to diving, saying that you can't really, uh, at a depth of 80 meters, um, diving down there, it's just, it's not that easy. It's not like, you know, you, it's not like diving on the Great Barrier Reef, right? You don't just put on, uh, you know, oxygen tanks and just dive down. Uh, it's a complex procedure. I think you need to breathe Helinox, I think, um, or a, a comparable uh, gas mixture. So it's, you know, you need to, need decompression all that kind of stuff and that basically you can't do that from from that kind of boat um also it just like didn't really sound plausible and the the newspapers writing about this um kind of also already put kind of caveats into their story now um Seymour Hirsch uh, published uh, I think on the day I did the pre I recorded at least the previous episode no I think on the day I released it I, I, I recorded that one early I think yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd pre-recorded that. So, yeah, 
Sorry, I've been, <laughs> been doing it's my schedule is, is all over the place. I can't really remember. Anyway, uh, I didn't have that. I didn't have his story when I when I recorded that podcast. Now he's published a second story uh, where he alleges that this um, this was a cover story, a, a false flag uh, plant, planted by the CIA um, to discredit his his story. Um, so, um, I want to get into that. I just want to address because, you know, I've talked to some people, uh, about the previous episode and had some comments, um, that, you know, are not on the, on the record here that I won't quote, but basically some people saying that, um, the, the Hirsch story is very unbelievable. Um, I personally don't think so. Um, I think from the beginning it was very plausible. It's just, as I said on that episode, the sourcing is just not good it's like one anonymous source now it's it's not worse than a lot of the usual new york times washington post stories on other topics you know from the opposite side of the political spectrum where they just have the same sourcing where i kind of attack that sourcing as well so i'm not happy with the sourcing on the story um but sometimes you know that's all you all, all you can get um and it is also very plausible and and but you know you don't know like it could it could be completely like made up it could be like a bullshit story from Hirsch what doesn't make me think, think so though it's not so much the story but the um the behavior i've noticed with my colleagues in the press and also the officials involved um not addressing this at all right um like from from the side of the officials, if it was so, I mean, it's really hard to disprove something, right? To say that you didn't do something. Um, but like, if there was a better theory, you'd think, you know, the US with the, all the intelligence services could have, like if it was the Russians, for example, right? You, you'd think they would have at least advanced some traces of that or like, you know. I mean, they kind of have now with this Ukrainian story, but like you'd think they'd come up with a better story. Um, but, you know, with intelligence services, they might not talk about it. So, you know, you you, you don't know either. But like what weighs heavy, more heavy for me is the press because there's lots of journalists attacking this story, but they haven't, like, they haven't done any research where they said, okay, this is why... Hirsch's story is not plausible or, you know, or the research they have done, like the side story and the, the New York Times story we're going to talk about in this episode, they're just ridiculous. And like, even in the very story, they have like disclaimers, they're just not very good. So um, to me, um, I'm not saying that this definitely happened like Hirsch said I'm just saying that he has the best theory at this point um you know there's there's been another attacker that's that's always advanced against anything really that people don't like these days um you know they said it's a conspiracy theory it is it is a conspiracy theory <laughs> it, it, it is that um but by virtue of the fact that it is a story or a the it is a theory about intelligence services doing a clandestine operation 
Of course it's a conspiracy theory. Any theory about an intelligence service is inherently conspiracy theory, or almost all of them, or at least the, you know, the theories about what they do, uh, because that's what intelligence services do, right? You know, that's what they deal in conspiracies. I mean, an intelligence service by itself is a conspiracy. It's a relatively small group of people that does secret shit, <laughs> you know? Um, in any other context, it would be called a secret society or something like that, except it's like state-sponsored. Um, so, yeah, it is a conspiracy theory, but I, I'm not, I don't think, um, you know, that inherently doesn't mean anything, at, at least in this context. So um, let's talk about this, this uh, second story uh, that Hirsch published. So he says, and he makes a very good point at the beginning, which I also think it's a, um, this is a, I hadn't even thought about this, but this is a, a very good point. Hirsch writes, press aides for the White House and Central Intelligence Agency have consistently denied that America was responsible for exploding the pipelines and those pro forma denials were more than enough for the White House press corps. There's no evidence that any reporter assigned there has yet to ask the White House press secretary whether Biden had done what any serious leader would do. Formally, in quote, quotes, task the American intelligence community to conduct a deep investigation with all of its assets and find out who had done the deed in the Baltic Sea. According to a source within the intelligence community, the president has not done so, nor will he. Why not? Because he knows the answer. Um, so that, you know, is a, is a is a good point. Like, why, you know, if if there's a controversy, why hasn't the American government officially gone? Let's we will investigate this with all our resources. Um, you know, instead they like the press who hasn't haven't really investigated either. Uh, are just treating it as a mystery. Oh, it's just this 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 mystery. Um, yeah, so uh, I thought that was a good point. Now, then he brings something up. So Hirsch starts the story with basically alleging um, that the German government at its, at its highest level is complicit um, in this, what he calls as a cover-up operation of his story. Uh, he writes, In early March, President Biden hosted German Chancellor Olaf Scholz in Washington. The trip included only two public events, a brief performer exchange of compliments between Biden and Scholz before the White House press corps with no questions allowed. I love this, by the way, when they do stuff like this before the press and there's no questions allowed. Like, what's even the point of going there? I've, I've never understood this as a journalist. Anyway, um, and a CNN interview uh, with Scholz by Farid Sakaria, who did not touch on the pipeline allegations. Of course not. He'd actually be doing his job. <laughs> um, the chancellor had flown to Washington with no members of the German press on board. I don't think that is actually that special. Um, I think they do that quite a lot. I don't think the, the German, I mean, we don't do that as much as the US having like all the press on the plane. But okay. Um, it's also a much smaller plane. Although they got, Merkel got a new plane. So short, I mean, Schultz has that plane. Also. He has a bigger plane now, but... Um, it was a day Merkel had a really old plane before that one that actually nearly crashed several times so they had to replace it 
Um, the Chancellor had flown to Washington with no members of the German press on board, no formal dinner scheduled, and the two world leaders were not slated to conduct a press conference, as routinely happens at such high-profile meetings, probably because they weren't saying what they were meeting about, I guess. Uh, instead, it was later reported that Biden and, Sch and Scholz had an 18-minute meeting with no aides present for much of the time. There have been no statements or written understandings made public since then by either government, but I was told by someone with access to diplomatic intelligence that there was a discussion of the pipeline expose, so Persia's story, and as a result, certain elements in the Central Intelligence Agency were asked to prepare a cover story in collaboration with German intelligence that would provide the American and German press with an alternative version for the destruction of Nord Stream 2. Um, so, small point here. Uh, I don't know what intelligence service that would be. Um, I don't think it would be the BND, really, because they're they're kind of like our CIA. Or maybe the CIA did the German story and the BND did the American story, so they can kind of swap, kind of like they swap, you know, the Germans spy on the Americans, the Americans spy on the Germans, and then they just swap the data um, so that they don't fall afoul of, like, the mandate that they can't spy on their own citizens. Um, I guess, because otherwise, you know, otherwise would it be the Verfassungsschutz, our internal, like the Constitution Protection Service, as it's called, which would be hilarious because I think what they, if this is right, right, if if Hirsch is, is correct on this, then I am pretty sure this would be against the German Constitution. Um, I'm pretty sure the government planting a fake news story uh, to protect an ally um, yeah that would I'm, I'm thinking I'm currently thinking on top of my head I should have researched that what constitutional article that would violate um, maybe it even maybe it wouldn't maybe it's so far-fetched that they never thought to make that illegal it certainly I would hope would be a scandal of epic proportions um, but these days you never know um, but uh, uh, Hirsch continues uh, in the words of the intelligence community I just love that term um, in the words of the intelligence community the agency I mean there's like not much intelligence in that community they just you know they just name themselves that to make themselves feel better I think uh, in the words of the intelligence community the agency was to was, quote, to pulse the system in an effort to discount the claim that Biden had ordered the pipeline's destruction. At this point, it must be noted that Chancellor Scholz, whether or not he was alerted of the destruction of the pipeline in advance, still an open question, has clearly been complicit since last fall in support of the Biden administration's cover-up of its operations, operation in the Baltic Sea. Now, whether or not this whole theory is correct, I do think that the German government, and especially Scholz, um, and I, I, I know I have to do this story on the German, uh, on, on the government, and you know that I've promised for a long time. Um, but um, I do think they're complicit. Um, they are complicit by the simple fact that they're not investigating this leak either, like this this explosion, this sabotage. Um, I mean, they're kind of investigating it, but they're not like. It's not like Scholz did the thing that Hirsch said Biden should have done, right? And and had a government 
um, announcement where they said we're tasking any available assets like our intelligence services, the federal police, um, you know, local police, whatever, um, Coast Guard, uh, to figure out what the fuck happens because th this was uh, like, they keep calling it terrorism, but it was an act of war, really. Um, uh, more, more towards Denmark because it actually happened in Danish territorial waters, but all right, you know, um, the, the Baltic is so all the countries are so close together. Like, I mean, you know, it's it's mind-blowing to me that there was no huge investigation of this. So the only conclusion I can draw from that is that the pipeline blowing up was kind of politically um, desired for the current German government now and I, I do believe that you know Scholz would fly over there and 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 you know have hash things out with Biden I don't think the 80 minutes were all about Seymour Hersh's story and I don't think he's saying that um I'm I'm, I'm thinking that probably um they were talking about the war in general and I think there weren't eights like there because I think there was a lot of they did a very candid, probably um, high high level, you know, classified thing where they were just like, "This is our fear. This is our strategy in Ukraine. You know, this is what we're doing." And 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 Biden was probably trying to get Scholz to, you know, send more tanks or whatever. And and I I do find it believable that they also discussed the story and discussed we need to do something about this like we can't have the press in germany um figure this out and figure out that it was you you know the americans and then i will i'm as you know i'm 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 scholz <laughs> right now you know and then i'm in a scholz is in a situation where he's his the german public will get angry um and he'll be put in a position where he is against american interests Right, because really, if you just look at this, like if you don't look at the political parties, it doesn't even matter if it's Scholz or if it's Merkel or whatever. Um, just geopolitically, Germany just can't. It's like you could see it under Trump, right? There was a lot of rhetoric in the press, uh, and even with a lot of politicians that you know, um. Trump is so horrible and so bad, but like if you looked at the actual government, like Merkel and her ministers and everything, and like the foreign policy, um, they were clearly um, backing off from that rhetoric and were going, you know, we're still allies and, and, and you know, their close ties between the US and they were kind of downplaying the Trump thing. They were like, kind of like, yeah, he's just one president, right? So it was kind of like the the vibe they were trying to spread, right? We We are still allies. And kind of the press was going with that as well. They were just like they weren't saying like it's the Americans. They were saying it's specifically Trump is the problem, and they were actually not drawing any like long term um, like consequences from that. Right? They were basically saying yeah, Trump's going to be gone at some point, and then we we're, we're back to status quo with the Americans, which is a geopolitical necessity right you have to remember that you know it's it's not the cold war anymore so um germany um really 
um, is not in a position anymore or was until this whole thing kicked off last year um, was not really in a position where we needed the US to protect us from the Russians um, which was kind of a I've talked about this on the show a lot of times which is kind of a dumb thing anyway because if there's all out nuclear war you know you can't really protect us and if there's conventional war the Americans can't protect us either because you can't defend Germany against an assault from the east um, you know which has been shown in World War II, obviously, um, and which was, is, is, if you look at the NATO plans from the Cold War, it's like the same thing, right? They're basically, um, the, the plan for defense of Germany is to give up like half, more than half the country because like the flatlands until you get to the mountains, you, you, can't, you can't defend. You can't, the Norddeutsche Tiefebene, like the Northern German flatlands, right? Uh, you, you, anything you, until you get to Northern Westphalia and you get like to the hills, uh, you, you can't you can't defend that um you know you can't there's no way like you can't have that many tanks right they just drive around you basically and 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 encircle you um so so it, there's actually like there's no reason for this protection but germany still isn't um isn't very uh a sovereign right i mean if when I say these things, people will say, how well, you're a weird conspiracy theory, like they call them, like um, Reichsbürger, you know, the people who say that Germany as, you know, the country, the Federal Republic doesn't exist and it's still like the, the Kaiserreich or whatever. That's all nonsense, right? Um, but those people always bring up a point which has a basis in reality, right? They, they say that, you know, th their rhetoric is that Germany is... Um, uh, still occupied, which is bullshit. But it is true that there's a lot of American soldiers, uh, weapons, even nuclear weapons, uh, still in Germany. You know, there's huge bases. Um, you know, I used to live in Hanover. I used to actually, for a while, uh, you know, when my wife lived in Hamburg, I used to go from Hanover to Hamburg. And if you do that, and if you don't go along the highway, even you go along, go, along, go along the highway, there's a huge area in the middle um, called the Lüneburg Heath uh, where there's basically shit all. And there's, a, there's the biggest um, like military um, a training area in Europe is, is right there. It's a huge, like if you look on the map, there's like huge, huge uh, uh, like areas on the map where there's just like a red area that you can't go through there's like no roads well there's actually roads but they're not on the maps right it's all fenced off you can't go through there like there's always huge nato uh uh trainings every every year or two years you know the tanks artillery planes everything um so and there's a huge military presence i mean actually in the bergen it's actually that's the that's the base uh, you know, it, it used to be a concentration camp, actually, or there used to be a concentration camp right next to it. There's still a memorial there. There's a huge army base. There's mostly British uh, military there now, but, you know, obviously there's huge American bases, Rammstein, stuff like that. So we can't, like, we couldn't even, like, if Germany wanted to oppose the U.S. on anything, like, let's say Ukraine or, or this, where we go, like, basically you did just fucking declare war on us. Like, we couldn't, we have, like, huge amounts of American military presence right in our country, right? 
they could presume like it's and like and it's it's weird people really, really don't think about that because you know world war ii ended uh you know the americans the british the russians liberated germany um and those th that alliance is still very much that, like that's a given for people right if there were actually still russian military bases in eastern germany with russian tanks hundreds of russian tanks sitting around people would would lose their shit uh, but American tanks, British tanks, is, is fine. Um, I'm not saying it's a, what I'm saying here. I'm, I'm, this is I'm very careful not to be misunderstood here, right? It's not my. I'm actually not going into what my actually opinion is on this um, because I think it's very, very complicated, and it, it'd be a very long discussion that I probably can't have on my own. That I'd have to discuss with somebody about whether I think that is a good idea. I'm just saying that like, that's the reality. That's the cold, hard Realpolitik, as Bismarck would say, like Realpolitik, geopolitical reality on the ground uh, is that we kind of tied to the US. So we can't actually fucking, like Scholz can't afford to piss off the US very much. So he kind of has to fly over and go like, how are we going to solve this? What are we going to do? Um, now, you know, and how, how are we going to structure our effort in Ukraine or whatever? Now, I would think, I would hope that in, in um, as an exchange of fucking over the press and f kind of making himself <laughs> basically the bitch of the U.S. president, He'd extract something in, 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 in exchange, right? He'd go like, I want some paper. You fucking blew up our fucking pipeline. And now our, like, our energy costs are like three times what they were. They, they were 10 times what they were for a while. Like our fucking economy is fucked. Our businesses are fucked. Uh, I would like... I would like like some payback for this. Uh, maybe he ext extracted some, uh, some, you know, favors that the U.S. get off our ass, uh, asking to deliver more tanks to Ukraine. That would be a weak ass exchange. But yeah, maybe he did that. Um, I could I could think he did that. Maybe um, you know that would be plausible to me uh, from what I think of Scholz. <laughs> um, you know that him going. You know, if you want fucking tanks in Ukraine, sell them your own tanks. You know, you, you got you got enough. We got we got problems as it is, uh, and maybe. But but as 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 I know, these clowns in our current government, he probably he probably just pulled down his pants and bent over at that meeting. Um, but you know that's all that's all speculation but you know according to hirsch um so what happened uh, after this is so hirsch's theory let's call it theory because there's there's no fucking proof on this he's got some some um anonymous sources again but you know so apparently um so the new york times was fed kind of a fake story 
this this yacht, yacht story um you know like <laughs> like the times is usually fat stories from you know contacts in the government in the intelligence community you know like 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 how russia gate came about how the the wmd episode came about all of this shit um And then apparently the 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 Zeit, uh, the German newspaper, was more skeptical, but they were kind of bum rushed by the Times. They kind of figured out. I, I want to know how they how they knew that the Times was going to press with this, um, because you know you don't usually you're in competition. You don't talk to these people. Well, you talk to them, but not about what an investigative story that's an exclusive, right? How would like a Times journalist go like talk to like a colleague in Germany? Go, oh, by the way, we've got this. You know, they would probably ask them if they're researching a story in Germany and they had some contacts at the site. They would go like, you know, ask them some stories about some questions. But you know, these are presumably really good journalists. If they're at the Times, like they wouldn't show their hand, right? They wouldn't go like, oh, if the if the site is also researching this, they know we're going to press and then they can scoop us. Like that's the last time you last thing you want, but apparently somehow the site found out, and that's why they're published as well. Um, which makes me think it's kind of that was kind of the plan, uh, the whole you know from the beginning. But let's let's see what let's quote. Uh, I'm going to quote Hirsch on what what he says here. So uh, Hirsch says the agency. So that's the CIA. The agency did its job, and with the help of German intelligence, concocted and planted stories about an ad hoc of the books in air quotes operation that had led to the destruction of the pipelines. The scam led to a March 7th report in the New York Times citing an anonymous American official claiming, so same sourcing as Hirsch's stuff, um, anonymous American official claiming that, quote, new intelligence suggests that a pro-Ukrainian group, end quote, may have been involved in the pipeline's destruction. And an online report the same day in the Zeit, Germany's most widely read weekly newspaper, stated that German investigative officials had tracked down a chartered lux luxury sailing yacht, sailing yacht, yeah, right, uh, that was known to have set off on September the 6th from the German port at Rostock, past Bonham Island off the coast of Denmark. The island is a few miles from the area where the pipelines were destroyed on September 26th. The yacht had been rented from Ukrainian owners and manned by a party of six. So if you're doing this, right, and you're Ukrainian, and you, you, this story is so idiotic, and you're, you're like kind of, you don't wanna want this to go back to, to Ukraine, right? You're not renting a fucking Ukrainian yacht. <laughs> if you're the Russians, maybe. But like, what the fuck? Just rent some the Greek yacht or what the German one? Who could the fuck just have your own ship if you're intelligent? I mean, this is makes all makes all sense. Uh, the yacht had been rented from Ukrainian owners and manned by a party of six: a captain, two divers, two divers assistants, and a doctor. Five were men and one a woman. False passports were involved. Holger Stark. Uh, Author of the Zeit of, of the Die Zeit report report told me after publication of this report that he had been following the criminal investigation into the yacht and its whereabouts for months, uh, and he and the newspaper decided to rush to publish what they knew upon learning of the New York Times report. He had no contact with German intelligence. I want to so first of all, how did they know that the Times was going to publish? Then how did he know he didn't have contact with German intelligence? You know. Maybe he had a source and he didn't know. Who knows? I don't know. So I want to know. So this is something that Hirsch doesn't answer. So some question I have. Um, so how, what is, 
was Stark lying or was there actually an investigation four months in Eckwards? Like, if there was, um, what were they actually investigating and why? Like, I, I would like to know specifics. Um, you know, it's something the site could probably answer. Um, so, if it was a legit investigation, a pipeline attack, like if the site knew that this boat was under under investigation because people thought that it had blown up the pipeline, why didn't they go to press earlier? You know, why did they wait for the times where they're so unsure of their sources, of their story? Like, was it that far-fetched? Otherwise, you'd think they get, it's a hugely important story, right? They could go to press earlier, right? Um, now, it's interesting that the whole thing about the four month, uh, going on four months thing is because like these stories specifically came about uh after Hirsch's story, so they looked like um uh you know just a, a clear distraction you know that's what I thought actually um this didn't occur to me originally. I was talking to somebody else uh a fellow journalist about this. And and I was saying, you know, the Seymour Hirsch story, and and he was saying, yeah, yeah, I read that. And then I said, then then he said, uh, what do you think about that that boat story? And I was like, yeah, that's completely far fetched. Um, and he was like, yeah, and it's kind of funny how that just appeared after the like nobody investigated this shit for months, and then as soon as Hirsch publishes a thing that you know is kind of detrimental for the for the um, the status quo, like detrimental to the um, establishment, then then suddenly this other story ap appears. So yeah. So I want to know, like, if the in the, if that investigation was going on, like, wouldn't that just prove that this was a cover up? I don't know. You'd have to you'd have to figure out what kind of you know what what they were actually investigating and why. Uh, and and I would want to know why that side waited, right? Um, so you know, putting on the tinfoil hat was the whole yard thing maybe a deep cover thing by the CIA where they're like, we're doing this, we're setting this up in advance so that, you know, if somebody uh, starts to connect the Navy to this shit, then we have like this story we can, we can, we can feed people. I don't know. That would be like a typical, like that would be a John Le Carré kind of move, you know, when you're like intelligent or like, you know, Tom Clancy. Uh, wrote about this shit as well like when you're an intelligence service and you go like you just hire some people to do this and they don't even know why they're doing it and then you're like implicating them later <laughs> um you know a typical that'll be typical spycraft who knows i have no idea uh so many questions uh sadly there's not there's not enough journalists who actually have access like i can't research this shit i don't even i wouldn't even know where to start Right, and I don't have access to this kind of records and and to these sources, but like there must be some journalists who do. And why are they not doing their fucking jobs? I want to know. Like, why is this site not like? If you read that story, and there's link in in the show notes, private citizen press. You want to read it um, if you speak German. Uh, if you read that story, you can you kind of realize, and and Hirsch says this as well that they're not really sure. They're like really skeptical. They have like disclaimers in there. So why why didn't they just write more about this? Like why didn't they explain why they're skeptical? 
right? Why don't we learn more about this investigation? Like, how did they learn of the investigation? What did they find out about it? It's just a very plain, relatively short, like, generic story. Like, there's no fucking details in this. Why not? Like, who are they protecting? They're protecting their sources? Then they should say that. Like, this is just, like, it, it's not good journalism. It's just not convincing. It's not only the story is not convincing, but, like, the way this came about is also not convincing, which is kind of why I'm siding with Fersh on this, because what he says just seems to make more sense to me, even though it's a conspiracy theory. But, you know, intelligence services involved, it might actually be a conspiracy. Um, anyway, uh, he uh, Hirsch keeps going on about these uh, stories and says, uh, the two publications included cautions in their stories, noting that, as the Times put it, quote, there was much they did not know. New information was, however, also said to have given officials, quote, increased optimism that a firm conclusion about the perpetrators would be reached. But it would take a long time. Why? According to various senior officials in Washington and Germany. Like, why? The message was that the press and the public should stop asking questions and let the investigators unravel the truth, which, of course, would never come. Um, the experienced Stark, who heads the site's investigative unit, went a st step further. Sorry, this old German strung me up. I'm going to go back into my German accent. <laughs> went a step further and noted that there were some, quote, in some, in quote, some, quote, in international security services, end quote, who had not excluded the possibility. So he had contacted some intelligence services, apparently. Who had not excluded the possibility that the odd story, quote, was a false flag operation. Indeed it was, says Hirsch. Um, so why would that take time? Right, with, with like any other investigation, you know, like when there's like a fucking, as they like to call it, cyber attack, uh, it's like immediately they're like, oh, it was the Russians. Uh, it's the North Koreans. Like we, we figured this out. Like what, what fucking takes time about this investigation? Like, it seems to me either you have concrete evidence linking these people somehow with money or, you know, I don't know where they, you know, used to work or whatever. Like, the same, same kind of shit Bellingcat does, right? I was also very quiet on this, by the way. Um, you know, either you have links or you don't have links. And either these are convincing or they're not. I don't know how time's going to change that. Like, what's time going to... If anything, it's going to obscure like leads and whatever, you know, like any detective knows the more time goes by, the harder it actually gets to investigate stuff like this. Um, anyway, Hirsch says it was a total fabrication by Amer American intelligence that was passed along to the Germans and aimed at discrediting your story. I was told by a source within the American intelligence community. The disinformation professionals inside the CIA understand that a propaganda gambit can only work if those on the receive if those on the receiving end are desperate for a story that can diminish or displace an unwanted truth. And the truth in question is that President Joe Biden authorized the destruction of the pipelines and will have, will have a difficult time explaining away his action as Germany and Western European neighbors suffer as businesses are shuttered amid high day-to-day -day energy costs. I think he's that makes complete sense to me. I mean, I would like to, you know, I'm going to mention feedback here in a bit but like i would like you to again write in and tell me if that you know if that makes sense to you but like this makes 
complete sense to me, right? So the reason this bullshit story worked or works is because the press largely doesn't want to investigate this. Because, you know, unlike Biden, who doesn't want to investigate it because he knows that he did it, uh, the, the press is afraid that they might find out that Biden did it. And that would put the German government in a very, very precarious situation. Um, for the reasons I mentioned. Germany is kind of joined at the hip to uh, American foreign policy um, and has always been. Um, I mean, there are... I'm not saying we, you know, at Germany, our politicians follow the American lines on everything. Uh, a good example is Gerhard Schröder, you know, who, who famously, after Germany getting involved in, in the war in Afghanistan, kind of against its constitution, which, you know, the interpretation of that has since changed, but I, I still am a very strong believer uh, in in the fact that, you know, Germany shall never be involved in a like um in an offensive war means that that was an illegal action because i think that was an offensive it's a it's a war you know going to afghanistan shooting at people is an offensive war um i don't know but yeah uh, you know they lawyer their way around that but you know famously gerd schröder um for populist reasons because it was not very popular with the population but you know sometimes populist re populist reasons can be good Right, because I think the population had was on on had a good reason here. Like you know, the German population didn't believe the lies from the U.S. intelligence community that the American press just parroted. You know, about all the uh, weapons of mass destruction about that bullshit, and the German population, you know, the the citizens had enough. They're like, we don't want to involved in this fucking war. So Schröder went went no. You know, we're not going to Iraq, and you know that. That works. Like, we don't have to follow everything, you know, every line the American government sets, basically, in foreign policy. But we also can't, like, really go against them. You know, since the Federal Republic of Germany existed, that has never happened. And, you know, there could be several reasons for that. People, I think people in Germany tend to assume this is because... You know, we're just aligned with the Americans. You know, after World War II, we got like lots of our culture was influenced by by the U.S. and and we're just we're just mentally in line with the U.S. Um, but that is actually not the reason. I think I think you know the reason is just realpolitik, geopolitical, you know, necessities, and you kind of could see that during Trump. Because um, there was a very peculiar situation here when Trump was U.S. president, where the press, when, and I talked about this on the show a lot, went on about like how bad Trump is and, and parroted the U.S. press all the time, which I found weird because like why, why do we actually care, right? Especially if it's not foreign policy. Why do we care what Trump does like in domestic policy in the U.S.? Like we have our own problems. How, why the fuck do we care? Um, but it was also very, like, there was a very, like, schizophrenic reaction by the press and and, and in, in extension that by the public here in Germany where, like, basically we were saying uh, uh, Trump is an idiot and, and a moron and, and, like, the worst person to run a country 
since Hitler. Uh, but like we still held very fast to like our alliance with the US. Like nobody went like, okay. So they literally did stories in the German press where they're like basically alleging there were like commentaries, political commentaries where people saying Trump's a madman. He will start World War Three, basically. Um, the logical conclusion would be, well, now we have all these soldiers and, and weapon systems controlled by this madman in our own country. If we were actually concerned about that, you know, we would we would try to change that. Like, I mean, no matter how realistic it is to get like these bases disbanded and get these soldiers out, whatever, we'd at least try. And the funny thing is Trump was at the time pulling soldiers from overseas. So it wouldn't have actually been that unbelievable maybe for Trump to say, yeah, I don't want to pay for all these bases. That's bullshit. Like, you know, the U.S. taxpayers are paying for like fucking bases in Germany. Uh, we don't want that. Like, let's pull these out. Why are we in Germany? Right. So that would actually have probably worked. Maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. But like the that wasn't even on the table. Which which t which tells you that this whole idea that we are so closely allied with the U.S. because we agree with them so much is bullshit. We're allied with them because we have really no other choice. Like we could like if a U.S. president was open to it, we could probably reverse the situation and like kind of make ourselves more separate from the U.S. But, like, if the U.S. doesn't want that, like, if the government doesn't want that, there's, like, no chance, like, we can. Like, we can't. Like, I, don't, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I'm not a military expert. I wasn't in the military. Um, I'm just a historian, and I haven't researched this. Um, but I would suspect that the... Uh, fighting strength of the of the allied NATO forces like the US and 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 and, U and British forces in Germany probably rivals if not in eclipses that of the Bundeswehr. Like if there was actually gonna be a fight, I think we would lose. Uh, which was kind of like that was the point of the setup after the Second World War. Of course, it's been wound down massively. So I don't know. But on the other hand, the Bundeswehr has been massively wound down over the last 20 years, as we have recently learned. Uh, when the head of the Bundeswehr, when this whole situation in Ukraine uh, kicked off, the head of the Bundeswehr said, well, we're not ready <laughs> for anything. <laughs> you know, people were saying, oh, we need to, uh, the, the, we need to, um, I think he actually stepped down um, or he was made to step down because people were saying, yeah, we need to be ready to help Ukraine. And that the head inspector of the Bundeswehr actually said, uh, no, we, we are not ready for anything because you kind of cut our funding for the last 20 years and you were fucked. <laughs> and I've been telling you this and, and my predecessors have been telling you this for 10 years that we can't, like, if, if, if push comes to shove, we can't do fucking anything. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's, like, the power situation where... Um, operating under here but then you know that's really uh that was really high level now 
Um, to wrap this up, uh, again, I don't think uh, Hirsch's sources are satisfactory, um, but neither are the ones from the other side. I think his story, uh, both the initial story and his idea that, that this is a cover-up, are believable. I think uh, there are mostly... Well, that makes sense. And then they are plausible because there's no... The the alternative theories are just so much worse. Um, the the way his story came about and the way the other stories came about his his his, his it just sounds like better journalism even with the sourcing like his story um like i have so many questions about that times uh, the the site sorry the site uh and also the time story probably um it just like hirsch quotes um so so one of the guys who wrote the New York Times story was on the daily after the story was published so the New York Times podcast and um Hirsch quotes that as being like revealing I don't see he has like a transcript I don't think it's very revealing but I listened to the podcast episode and I listened to the guy and he doesn't sound very sure about the story right um it, it doesn't inspire confidence. And then there was also um, uh, actually a, a huge red flag because actually Hirsch has this in the in the um, in the transcript as well. Uh, this so this reporter is called uh, Julian Barnes, and he says so. My my colleagues uh, Adam and Tuus, Adam Goldman and I started asking a different question. Blah blah blah. Now Adam and Tuus or and Tuus, I don't know. Yeah. Kind of forgot how he pronounced it, and two, I think, um, is one of the main guys who fucked up the whole Russia Gate thing. Like he's, uh, if you if you read Taibbi's uh, like uh, deconstruction of the whole Russia Gate thing, um, you know, and I did an episode on on, on this as well. He and uh, two uh, turns up several times. Um, he wrote a lot of stories uh, that, that were very far-fetched on Russiagate, so that's already immediately a red flag. But this guy just doesn't sound convincing on the podcast. Um, and you can read both of these stories and not very... They, they're not very... Um, if you read them, they don't feel like they're written with authority and self-confidence. <laughs> Um, they read like they're written by journalists who have some sources who want to write a story and who are covering their ass. Um, so I, I don't want to even say that these journalists knew that there were fed stories by the intelligence services because they probably didn't. Because really, if you do this well, if you're the CIA, it works better if the journalists don't know. <laughs> you know. Um, but I think it's a case of they want to believe. Um, as I said, you know, it's just like these people don't want these are journalists whose understanding and I've talked about this on the show a lot as well understanding of how to do journalism is very different from mine um, I believe I'm a very old school journalist even though I've only been doing this job for about uh, just over 10 years um, but I'm very old school and I believe that you go where the story takes you, even if it's uncomfortable. And it's not the job of the journalist to figure out if the story you're 
writing hurts the German government or the German relations to the US. You know, I might be personally of the opinion that the US being an ally uh, with Germany is important and needs to stay that way. Um, I don't even know if I'm of that opinion, but let's assume I would, I'm of that opinion and, and I would not want to hurt this relationship. Still, as a journalist, I believe it is my job to tell the things that I see, how I see them. Right. So if I if I get a story and I think it's important and, and the outcome of this story will jeopardize this alliance, I still think it's my job as a journalist to tell the story because it's not my job to protect the interests of the government. Quite the opposite. Right. I would I would probably err on the side of if I didn't know. Like if I was if I had a story like this and I was on the fence of publishing it. Um, because of the sourcing or whatever, I had my doubts. Um, the story being detrimental to the government, to the people in power and to the status quo and the interests of powerful people would make me want to publish the story even if I wasn't sure, rather than the other way around. Because I see that as a job of a journalist to fight the powers that be because I mean the powers that be are the powers that be because they have a lot of power they have money they have power they have influence and if you look at history they will largely um, you know um, short of very very disgusting and bloody and painful events like wars and revolutions where lots of people die um, and lots of people lose their livelihood and that kind of thing. Um, short of these like extraordinary events, these, these powerful people will generally hold on to their power. And it is generally not good for the rest of the population. So, you know, that's, to me, the job of a journalist. Right, and and that's why um, some people these days think it's the job of an activist to fight that, and I, I, I don't think so because like I find that very dangerous. Like I'm not saying people shouldn't be activists, but if you're an activist, uh, you do something, you do exactly this what these journalists are doing, right? You you are you have a conviction, um, and and so you have a viewpoint, and you subordinate everything to this viewpoint. That's what being an activist is about. Uh, being a journalist is about really not having everybody has a viewpoint, but trying to not have a viewpoint, like to to bring this, this old school. This is why I like reading Matt Taibbi and Greg, uh, Glenn Greenwald. It has nothing to do with the actual political opinion. They have they have expressed and and they have shown a willingness to to and a, an understanding of journalism that is this old school understanding that you know. Your job is to 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 dredge up stuff that people don't want to that people want to keep hidden and to publish that, no matter the consequences. It's society sorts that out. It's not your job to worry about the consequences as a journalist. It's not your job to worry about, you know, if the source uh, perpetrated a crime by getting you the material. It's not your job to think about if you break the law by publishing the material 
um, your job is to get the material out there. And I used to be very specific about the way you do that as a journalist, right? I used to, not on this show, uh, but if you'd listen to my uh, Linux podcast from years back, me and Dan, we would often talk about political things uh, on the side. We'd talk about everything. It was like being in a pub with a mate, right? We talked about Linux, but we also talked about WikiLeaks and fucking Julian Assange. And I, I was always against, like Dan was much more for the kind of WikiLeaks, as far as I remember his stance at the time, um, you know, for, for the way of just getting the information out. And I was very cautious always. You know, I was very new to journalism at that time. Um, and I was like, sticking by the book and i was like no there are rules and you have to you know protect the people that are in the material and it's just like, like there's a reason that there's there's kind of a profession right there's a journalist and and they have a, a certain rules like in, in we have the the codex the, the press codex in germany um that you adhere to and traditions and kind of thing and that was back at in that time, I still believed in the system. I still believed the system worked. Now, I think it's been shown over the last few years that this system has failed, that journalists have not done their job. And that's why now, these days, I'm like, I don't even care. I'm like, if it's WikiLeaks style, if some people get hurt by releasing that information, so be it. These days, I think it's so, it's, it's so rare that this information actually gets out and gets to people. And, and journalists, when they kind of get this information, in general do such a bad job of extracting the actual, for lack of a better word, truth, um, and getting it to the people, that sometimes just leaking it is just better. <laughs> you know, it, because journalists are fucking it up so much, basically the, the, the people have, will have to do it themselves. Like, they have to do... Um, their own job and 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 because journalists have been so bad at it um and you know that has downsides you know you know there might be some some intelligence operatives or whatever and or some you know if you leak like hillary's emails whatever there's like some people that get mixed up in there that get their name ruined you know that that kind of just because of there's something completely else in that email like maybe some adult i don't know I don't know what was in those emails. I don't give a damn. But like, I mean, those theoretically, right? That some people might might get have negative consequences that really um, did not deserve that because they just got caught up. Um, and I, I would generally, like, in a in a perfect world, I would try to avoid this, which is why I used to be for you know journalists have to look at this stuff and they have to redact things that really don't belong to the story. But jo journalists have done such a piss poor job at that that you know I think that. That has sailed. That ship has sailed. I think we, as journalists, we can't, um, we can't go and say, "Well, it's not. It's it's just not cricket to release the information." I think we've we've as a as a profession uh, in the last ten twenty years, we've fucked up so badly uh, that we really can't be the arbiters of that anymore. But you know, that was also completely of the off topic here but I, I think that was that's important because we're basically talking about journal journalism here right it's it's a set to me i mean i write on substack and I, I do you know my slogan is new media new rules so i i like underdogs and i like people stirring up the system but it's if i look at the last two years it is it's extremely sad 
as a journalist that you know I've 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 found these great investigative stories and they're almost all on Substack or like on some random podcast. Right? None of this shit is like in 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 established newspapers, um, you know, in the in, in established media, in the legacy media as TV likes to call it. And it, it really it, it's turning out to be the legacy media. Like that that is really becoming true. Um because I mean if some guy and you know Hirsch is not some random guy, but you know, if some guy on Substack's doing a better job than your fucking eighty people newsroom, what the hell are you doing? Anyway, we we're gonna have to get to the feedback because I have some direct feedback from the previous episode that pertains to this episode um so we should talk about that speaking of feedback you can go to privatism.press and comment right in the show notes now uh, there's like a link start the discussion or there's already a discussion there and you can jump in. Um, you might have to uh, create a forum account if you don't have one, but you know, it's it's very quick and it's a very friendly forum. So um, I would, um, I would um, encourage you to do so. And you know, you can do it anonymously. Um, of course, me as the admin, you know, I'll see you email uh, whatever, but I'll I'll treat that um, as I would treat any other sources, right? I'm not gonna um, <laughs> if the if the I mean I have to comply with German law, of course, you know. So if you if you if you post some some stuff that's illegal in Germany, you'll have to take that off. But like if the police comes and says we want to know who this guy is, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna invoke my press uh, credentials on that, and I I. I I, I would go to jail for that, I think. Uh, that would be very painful. But it would also be a good story. <laughs> I'd be turning that into a book, <laughs> you know. Um, anyway, um, so you can do that or you can, you know, write me an email, uh, con anonymous contact, a Dropbox, um, anything, you know, links, uh, all the information in the show notes. Private citizen press. Now, if you write on the forum, uh, like Gil Taron uh, commented on the previous episode and says and said this, um, it seems to me that you have called a spade a spade by talking about an act of war. How else could it be that the intelligence community seems to continue making a big fuss about this by pimping an alternative explanation? And he links to another substack, unsurprisingly. Uh, this is uh, Ugripius. Um who has a story uh, from Reuters. Uh, last week, Danish authorities said a tubular object protruding around 40 centimeters from the seabed in, and, in, and 10 centimeters in diameter had been found during an inspection of the last remaining intact pipeline by Swiss-based operator Nord Stream 2 AG. With a view to further clarifying the nature of the object, Danish, Danish authorities have decided to salvage the object with the assistance from the Danish defense. Uh, that's the uh, fourth virus. <laughs> Something force force virus. I think it is. Um, the country's energy agency said in a statement on Thursday, the Danish energy agency has in that 
it's uh, this, so this is in Danish territorial waters, right? So that's why it's the Danes. Uh, the Danish Energy Energy Agency. Actually, I have to Google that. Let's let's see what they're called. Danish 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 Energy Agency. Okay, they gotta be on Wikipedia. Uh, Ener Energy Tirelsen. Energie Energie That's how you pronounce it if you're German and Energiestirelsen. But if it's Danish, it's probably Energiestirelsen. Danish is kind of like reading stuff backwards. Um, <laughs> gotta, gotta be careful. I'm gonna be in Copenhagen soon <laughs> for a Sabaton concert. Uh, they, they won't be. They won't be liking this. Uh, so Danish Energy Agency, uh, Energy Jelsen, has in that context invited the owner of the pipeline, Nord Stream 2 AG, to participate in the operation. It said, adding it was awaiting a response from the operator. The German headlines of course, the Russians. Um, in, in Der Spiegel. Der Spiegel reports that the Danes are saying it could be a smoke buoy, which is interesting because Seymour Hersh's original report on how America took out the Nord Stream pipeline featured a sonar buoy allegedly dropped to trigger the pipeline sh charges. Naturally, I have no idea whether such a buoy would be so small, and it seems improbable that it wouldn't would have ended up directly adjacent to the intact Nord Stream 2 pipe. Yeah, I don't think so. Perhaps this is all part of a publicity operation to disarm this aspect of the sabotage story. At any rate, Timing is odd, for this latest report comes two days after Seymour Hersh's follow-up piece on the origins of the sailboat saboteur account of the attack. This, you'll recall, is the story that appeared simultaneously in major American German media directly after the early March meeting between Chancellor, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and U.S. President Joe Biden in Washington. Hersh seems to confirm widespread suspicions about how that report originated. We talked about that. Um, what I find interesting, um, so if you look at this, so I'm, I'm writing a novel novel about submarines. I love the ocean. I've been a uh, a fan of SeaQuest ever since that aired originally on TV. You know, I, I love submarines. I love the sea. Uh, I love. I'm I'm not really a diver, um, you know, but I love like you know, I'm not really with with um, with tanks and shit, but I love like shallow diving and shit, you know, I've been, I've been wearing a diver's watch for 10 years. I, I just love the ocean. Now, if you look at this story from Reuters, links on the show notes, private citizen or press, um, they have a picture of this thing. And it's, um, presumably, it's this, like, it's this tubular object, which is presumably a buoy, uh, that is, uh, you know, in front of the pipeline, I, I, I assume. I assume the thing in the background is the pipeline. Now the thing that immediately so it's it's it looks like it's stuck fast to the ocean floor um uh maybe 10 20 30 centimeters from the pipeline and the thing that immediately occurs to me is that the pipeline is relatively free of marine growth like organisms shit this object is like covered in it um so either it is some material that is more porous or like, you know, more liable to attract growth than the pipeline, which I think is concrete. I think that's a concrete cover. Um, so maybe this is plastic or metal. I don't know. But it from the first look, it looks like it's been there longer than the pipeline. <laughs> um, 
it's been there a long time. I don't know. That like if that was dropped in the attack, which is now what like was it September, October, November, December, January, February, March, it's like half a year. I don't know. That looks like it's been there longer than half a year. I'm not an expert on this, but um yeah, I this looks like another false flag to be honest. I I'll I'll be I'll be watching the story. I'll be, I'll be interested to see what the Danes discover. Um Like what would that be? Like so that's the intact pipeline, it's the one that didn't blow up. Like would that be like an explosive charge that didn't explode? Like I mean it's not going to be the sonar buoy because the whole point of that is like you drop that miles and miles and miles from where the actual explosion would be right because sonar travels very far in the water i mean you can like you drop a sonar buoy in the ocean you can like with with like uh uh the 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 equipment on a submarine you can detect that like hundreds of kilometers away um, you know, I talked about the the Gloma used Gloma Explorer when the when the Americans um, uh, salvaged or tried to salvage this Russian submarine in the Cold War. The Russians didn't know where the submarine was. The Americans knew because they had like uh, antenna, like ultra low frequency like antenna, like um, listening sonar listening devices, basically. Um, around half the, like, one one was, like, fucking in Canada, I think, and the other one was, like, in Hawaii or something, like, and then there was another one on, like, the other side of the planet, and they triangulated where the submarine exploded, like, that explosion sound, which underwater's really loud, but it's, like, not that, like, you can track something like this around half the planet. Um, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't drop that thing right next to the that Like, that wouldn't... Like, what is that? A char- Like, did they blow this pipeline up by dropping something from a plane? And this just didn't explode? Like, what's that supposed to be? Like, I don't... Yeah, this is all bullshit. Anyway, I would like to thank Galteran uh, for, for linking me to this story. Um... Very interesting. I would I would like to know what you think. If you're listening to this, uh, if you have any commentary on this. Uh, so far, I didn't have any live commentary on Twitch tonight. Um, but, you know, I would you go to Private Citizen or Press, let me know. Um, sign up to the forum if you want to. If you don't, just send me an email, whatever. Um, and you'll become a producer on the show. Um, there's also another way to become a producer. And that is by supporting me on Patreon. Um, if you like this show, if you think I should continue doing it and you got some money to spare, doesn't really matter how much, um, please support me on Patreon. Uh, it would help a lot. And uh, you'll get a credit on the show. I've got like these tiers that kind of, um, you know, structured after Hollywood uh, producer titles because I kind of want to be this like the new Game of Thrones show or something where it's like, 
like two actors and then there's like two minutes of producers on or like Star Trek Picard where it's like they like credit it's like the original Star Trek where they like credit three actors and then the intro is over and then Star Trek Picard they credit like three actors and instead of the intro being over there's like three minutes more intro but it's all producers <laughs> that's kind of like how this works uh, so <laughs> thanks to my showrunner Sorgal Taran executive producers I one i one one g or Lilk, no idea. Butterbeans, Yaroslav Lichtblau, Rizal, and Sandman six one six. Supervising producers: Avis, Bennett Piata, Dave, dun, 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 Ikn, Jackie Plage, Jonathan, Jonathan M Hitai, Crunkle, Michael Mullen Jensen, Robert Forster, and Tobias Weber. Or Tobias Weber, who, who the fuck knows? Uh, producers, Andrew Davidson, Astral C, Cam, Captain Eckhart, David Potter, Dirk Didi, Fanny Mansour, Florian Licht, Florian Pigorsch, Joe Poser, <laughs> Michael Small, sorry, sorry, Florian, uh, Michael Small, Mika, Mr. Amish, Rick Bragg, RJ Tracy. Uh, funny thing, uh, in school, uh, because Fabian, Fabian, Fabian was kind of a rare name when I grew up. It's not these days anymore, but like, Uh, they always used to call me Florian. And I met very many Florians in my time that always said they always used to call them Fabian. So we have kind of a bond. <laughs> anyway, um, right. Uh, associate producers, Barry Williams, D, Jonathan, Johansson, and Kaisius, Ricky M, Steve Hose, and Vlad. Thanks to all of you. You make this show possible, and uh, I appreciate that very much. And I also have to thank ByteMark at ByteMark.co.uk. They're providing the servers that host these audio files. So the hosting and the bandwidth for free. And I couldn't do the show without them either. So thanks to ByteMark as well. And with that, I'm out of here. I'm signing off uh, the uh, theme song for this show uh, as every time. But I, you know, I like to give credit where credit's due. It's called Acoustic Roots by Raul Kabzali. I didn't have to do this, but I like to do that. I like to give credit. Um, and then I'm going to play us out with a song by Big Girl, who's rapidly becoming a favorite artist on Epidemic Sound. Uh, Big Girl with the song Ready to See My Baby, which is uh, kind of new. It's a single she released recently. Uh, I really, really like Big Girl, so we're going to listen to that. And that's it for me. Um, I might be back tomorrow. I will, I will try. And um, yeah, until then, aim to misbehave. <laughs>